You're listening to the Bible Guys Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Perguson, along with professors Jerry Hollinger and Rick Kleiner. The Bible Guys is a podcast focused on knowing God better through what he has written. You can find out more by following us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Bible Guys Pod. You can also connect with us via email at BibleGuysPodcast at gmail.com. Well, welcome, guys. Welcome back. Hey, we have a question from a listener, and this this question is unique because um, he sent in the question via the Anchor app. And when you do that, you can record your question audio uh, and send that to us, and you know we can play it on the air and 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 respond to it. Come on, Devin. We already got a commercial at the beginning of this. We don't need a commercial right now in the middle of it. Yeah, so. that is hard to listen through. It, I know. It's, yeah. I'm sorry. It's, okay. So, yeah, we have this question from Gary. Um, but the thing is, I am not sure when he sent this in. He could have sent this in last week. He could have sent this in four months ago. So, Gary, I'm so sorry that it's taken us a while to get to your question. He's probably not uh, even a listener anymore. You probably <laughs> burned him. I know we ask every week, send in your questions and then we, and we'll ignore them. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's right. Hey, but anybody else that's out there that wants to use that method, I promise I'll be checking, um, weekly now to see if we have any, any audio messages. Um, I'm going to go ahead. Next week. Our question will be, what does the Bible say about Y2K? And that's how late (laughs) it will be. You picking this up. Hey, when Y2K hit, I was a uh, pastor. And I preached two sermons on Y2K. Oh, yeah? I did. Were, you, were, you, was it, were they trying to be prophetic, or was it more common people down? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll go into it sometime. All right. What I said. Okay. So I'm, I very was at proud, a- I'm very proud of those two sermons, and I still have the manuscripts. And, uh, yeah, it was a good experience. The, the, night of y, the night when we, I guess you say the night of Y2K, um, I was... Uh, I was at a youth group's house. I was kind of, I was invited in. I was, I was a college student, um, been saved for about a year. And um, and the, in the house that we were at, I found the power box. So when they did the countdown, I actually shut the power out at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> Just, a, it was so funny to listen to them go, like, do the countdown. They were like, three, two, one, happy. And it just went black. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm I know John Hagee was right. Yeah. Right, that's what they were screaming. Yeah. The next Blood day we had a, the next day we had a we had a we had a get together where we had freeze dried spaghetti and beef jerky to eat out all to eat all the the bomb shelter food. All your had. provisions, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. All right, um, so what's the question, man? Let's get back to Gary's question. Oh yeah, yeah. So Gary, I'm gonna actually we're gonna play your question right now. Hey, Bible guys, I got a question that might be a little bit in the weeds, so to speak, but I've been doing a word study on the Greek word doulos, uh, which gets translated a lot as either servant or as slave. Um, But the uh, Theological Dictionary of the New Testament in 10 volumes by Kittle and Friedrich, uh, uh, they describe it as the meaning is so unequivocal and self-contained that it is superfluous to give examples of the individual terms or to trace the history of the group. And the author there is saying that the meaning is unequivocally slave. So I was wondering if you guys would be able to uh, maybe give some insight on how are we best to understand or interpret the word and how should we uh, apply that to our lives as Christians and how it, what it means for our relationship to God. And so what is the 
the idea of being a slave to God or a slave to Christ. So is Gary asking us to go against the TDNT? Is that what he's asking? <laughs> no, it's good. Well, well, we'll comment on that. Let me just tell people what the TDNT is. Uh, Theological Dictionary of the New Testament is actually a translation of the uh, 1933 German work, and it's, it's really considered a monumental um, reference for New Testament word studies. I'm hugely impressed that he's reading TDNT, and I'm doubly impressed that he's reading the 10-volume edition and not the abridged edition. So, you know, I commend, commend, him, commend him for that. So that's a great question, and really there's been a lot of discussion over the years as to how doulos should be translated. Should it be translated slave, servant? So that's, that's a really relevant and a good question. Yeah, and I'll, I'll go ahead and start. I, I agree um, with the TDNT. I think it, it is translated best as slave. Um, and for, for just a couple reasons, um, it's just that's the, that's the word and that's how it would have been used um, in that time period. Um, so, so here's why I bring that up, because the modern day argument here is, isn't it better to use the word servant? Um, when talking about a person who is a, a doulos of Christ, just because of it, it carries connotations that it's this is a willing, um, uh, submissive relationship to Christ rather than it being something of force or coercion. And uh, I get what they're trying to say, but that's if we're not careful, that's, that's dangerously close, if not already, um, eisegeting. You're putting the culture, what's comfortable right now, what's safer right now you're putting that kind of terminology and language into the into an old test or to an, to an, an older text when when the authors meant that word on purpose they, they meant to use that term and so uh, I, I think it's it's more biblically safe to use the word slave um, instead of, of just using a generic kind of phrase of servant that really raises um uh, an important interpretive point. A lot of times we say in biblical studies that the Bible is written for us, but it's not written to us. And when we say that, what we mean is that the Bible is written to a particular people in a particular historical setting. So, yes, we profit from the Bible, but it was not written to us. It was not written in our cultural time frame, in our historical time frame. And you're right, there's always the tendency to want to impose our way of thinking on the text. And the problem in this instance is if you do that with the term doulos, then you're really robbing the biblical authors of, of what they are trying to say. I mean, they're not stupid. They knew that slavery existed during their lifetime. And as you said, Rick, they intentionally use that term because they want to communicate something. And, you know, I would say having used Kittle for years, it, it can be uneven because it's written by so many different scholars with different viewpoints. But I, but I think in this case, they're dead on. There, you know, there are some times when it might be appropriate to translate doulos as bondservant or something like that. But I think in the vast majority of instances, slave is the appropriate translation. 
and um, and for a lot of reasons, which I can go into a little bit later. Well, I think one we could mention real quick is um, when when Paul Paul's use of it when he talks about not being slaves to unrighteousness, but rather give your life over as slaves or as a slave to righteousness. It's the idea that you know the idea of the slave used in the word doulos is it's it's you're you're submitting to the will of another and often in that case by you could say by force um so it's just like a person is because of the power of sin and and in our lives uh, before Christ we gave ourselves over as slaves to unrighteousness uh it was both a willing choice but it was also something we had no like we literally had no power over now as we are new new persons new creatures we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We're able to now be b- both willingly, but also slaves to Christ. We we are under His authority. We are we we don't have a a right to ourselves in that sense, but our lives are meant to please the Master, who is Jesus. And I think that there's something that Paul was trying to communicate there um, that I think is rich, and it, we can lose it when we. I'm going to use the term "soften the language" a bit. Um, but there's terms. There's times like this we we've seen, uh, and maybe we can get to this uh, into the conversation. Oftentimes, translations. Let's use that term. Will soften the language of the New Testament writers, um, just for for whatever reason. And um, I get it. I get why. But I'm kind of a big fan of letting the letting the text speak for itself. And if that if that's using if it's using that strong of a language, I want to use it too. Yeah. First thing I thought of was Philippians. You know everything I'm, everything I'm pursuing other than Christ that I've tried to manifest or try to make my name with. Uh, Paul uses scubalon, dung, yeah, re- refuse. Um, he's using powerful, strong language there. Some and translations because, because of our censors, you can't state it even stronger than that. Right, and so I mean, I got some. I mean, I, I don't think personally Paul's you trying to be overtly offensive. I just think he's trying to use strong language to con- to prove a point. He's saying here's what. Here's what this is to me. Um, then we see this again in Isaiah, where I, the prophet yep. Isaiah says, "My righteousness to God." You know, of course, the more of our our translations will say "filthy rags." That's a strong word in mm. in the Hebrew. It's meant to be used as a menstrual cloth. That our righteousness are, are those things. And so, I get why translations want to soften the language, but. This is why it's important to know the original languages to an extent where you're able to see what's really happening, because that really opens up a huge explanation and understanding of the passage when you know what's being said in it. Yeah, particularly because when the New Testament writers use the term doulos, it has a rich Old Testament concept as well. And it really comes out, the idea comes out of uh, Israel being delivered from slavery in Egypt. And, you know, they would have understood the connotation of that. And of course, the biblical writers aren't approving of abusing people, but nonetheless, they're trying to use a metaphor uh, to describe what our relationship is to Christ. And that is, we do not have any rights. Uh, He is our master, and we are bound as his slaves. So, you know, the stronger we can understand that, the better. And there is an aspect of our, our, our 
slavery to Christ that is willing. We, we, we who have come to know Christ, um, who I'll, I'll use the, who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have a, a willing submission to Christ. We're like Peter. Who's when Peter, when Jesus tells him, do you want to go away too? After I, he had just taught something very difficult to the people and many people left. And he says, do you want to go away too? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And so there's this willful submission um, to the, the mastery of Christ that he is our Lord. And um, now some of our listeners may hear that and say, oh, you guys are just kind of spouting out the old lordship salvation mindset. Um, but no, I think there's something that gets neglected in this discussion when we don't talk about this. When we, when we see this as more and we see our relationship to Christ as more of a, for lack of a better term, what's being kind of promoted in Christian circles as like a love affair. This idea that, you know, you've been captivated by him and he wooed you. Um, and that's where the highlight is. But there's also an aspect of he is our master. He's our Lord. Um, well, and, and, and those, two, those two terms are critical in the discussion, master and Lord. Mm-hmm. Because the opposite of both of those is a slave. So when Jesus says, for example, you can't serve two masters, you can't be a slave to two masters, if you translate that as a servant, it's basically, it erases everything he said, because it'd be like, if you're just serving somebody, it's like, oh, I could have a day job and a night job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he's like, no, you can't serve both. You're a slave to one. You can't be a slave to both because they're two different masters. One of the um, passages that came to mind when uh, Devin played that question is with John the Baptist. And you remember when he said, I'm not worthy to loosen the Lord's sandal. Well, it's interesting because the rabbis would sometimes write about Hebrews should not give their, their slaves demeaning work to do. And one of the demeaning works they listed was um, taking off the sandals of their masters. And so John the Baptist is virtually saying, I'm not a slave, I'm actually below one. Because of the dignity of the Lord, it's as if I'm, I'm lower than even a slave would be, which to me really brings out the sense of it. And then you have the other passage where it talks about the servants, the slaves who serve their master. And then at the end they say, you know, we, we haven't done it for glory. We've just done our duty. Um, and th- I think this takes away, this terminology takes away any kind of self-glorification in serving Christ. That it's not about, oh, man, look what Rick or Jerry or Devin did. It's we're just doing our jobs. We're doing our duties as, as slaves of, of our Lord. He gets all the glory. He gets all the at- the adoration, we, we, we don't deserve it. And sometimes we, when we forget our position, it almost becomes comical. I think also of when Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet in the upper room, and uh, Peter is, you know, horrified. And he said, Lord, you will never wash my feet. And he uses a double negation there. And really the sense is you will not wash them for all eternity. You know, you will never do this. And the irony is, here is the true slave, Peter, telling his master what to do in the whole exchange. 
And so, you know, we are the slaves and, and the Lord is our master. He is our Lord. And um, again, that, that is a key metaphor for our relationship with God. And, and kind of another aspect I'd throw in here as well is one of the, the reasons people don't like this is because they feel it's too demeaning. And yet, in a sense, one could argue that the phrase slave of God or slave of Christ is also elevation in a sense based on the one based on whose slave or servant we are. Mm-hmm. So mm. it is dignified for us to call ourselves slaves as Peter does, as Paul does, as James does because of the one, one we are serving. So it, it's stressing great humility, loss of freedom, but also the dignity of the one we serve. We had an earlier, I mean, as our very first podcast we released, when we talked about Bible translations and we kind of all picked our favorites, ones we go to. Um, the HCSB, one that I picked, um, frequently translates that as slave. Yes, it um, does. One of the unusual modern ones. Yeah, and, and actually for a while it was one of their... Um, one of their major commercials. So it was like it, one of the major commercials was it's not servant, it's slave. It was something like that. But I'm interested, in, and I, we should have discussed this uh, in the pre-show, but um, I know most other translations, the ESV uses servant, but what is the NET, another translation we, we reference? Do, does the NET use slave or servant? Do we know? Uh, yeah, uh, the NET does actually use slave. So oh. Romans 1.1 1, 1 says, Good. from Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. And can, while you have your pull, while I have it pulled up, can you look at what it says in the CSB? I'm interested, I'm kind of interested sure. in if they switched it when they switched, uh, when they updated the text. Yeah. The CSB, it says a servant of yeah. Christ Jesus. So. Yeah, that was, and, and again, I'm not, not discrediting a translation, but when, when this, the HCSB was stopped being printed and they, they switched over to the CSB, um, one of the things that I would look at is how they translated certain words and passages that I thought the HCSB did well. And that was one of the hangups I had when the CSB came out was that it just, it took the servant route for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know, it really, it really doesn't help the fact that we're Americans and I'm not bashing America, but you know, the ancient Greeks, one of the great things they valued was freedom to do whatever they want. And really, I think that has become a value of, of probably the majority of Americans. You know, don't tell us what to do. We're free to do what we want. One could even argue that's the foundation of the founding of America. And I think that's one of the reasons the slave translation is so difficult for Americans. Kind of like the you know other doctrines, total depravity, unconditional election. Those things go against freedom mentality that we have in our country. And if somebody says to me, oh, this is too demeaning, or, man, what, where do you go? You go to Philippians 2, where Christ, the second member of the Trinity, becomes the slave of the Father to the point of extreme humiliation. Mm. And then in Hebrews 10, he says, I come to do your will, O God. And that's the essence of the slave terminology, and that that really is the mindset the writers are trying to get us to have. Yeah, 
I think I think that's great. And this might be a little bit of an aside, but um, a few years ago, Tim Keller came to Wake Forest University to to do like a little uh, speaking thing, and he was talking about his book, um, Making Sense of God. And in it, he was ta- he basically talks about how we have this idea that almost you know we in in the woke Western world have this um, we have the we have this culture that people need to reach to. So we have the culture that people need to aspire to, and we really don't understand that the way that we view our culture um, really shows our arrogance. And so he gave the example of, you know, there are people that are, you know, Middle Eastern or or of Muslim uh, ideas. And, you know, we have people here in America that are like, your God's not loving, like, you know, all, all these things about God and his love. Whereas he said, like, the issue that some of my Muslim friends have with salvation is the forgiveness aspect. What? I'm not, I don't, I don't want to listen to that whole forgiveness aspect. My God is wrathful and he does not forgive and, and things like that. And so this whole idea, like, like what you were talking about, we sort of put our culture on the throne and this is the way it needs to be. Whenever there are people from different contexts that, that this really wouldn't be that much of an issue for. I I think that's right. And another thing I think of is if we take this posture now, the tables, in a sense, will be turned in the future. Because when speaking to the, to the apostles, you know, Jesus tells them, if you take the lowly root of a slave in this life, you will be the greatest in the kingdom. And, you know, great honor and authority will be given to those who, who consistently live out this slave relationship with God and with others. And, um, if I could throw out one other passage in that that classic text in Philippians two, where where the son comes to serve the father, to be humiliated, to experience even the death of the cross, verse nine of that section begins with therefore. Therefore, because he did this, uh, he is highly exalted mm. by the father, and the day is coming then when. You know, if you don't want to do it now, every knee will bow in that day. So the best advice, I think, for Christians is to realize the privilege of being the slave of Christ and realizing the reward that will be received for for following that injunction. So, yeah, um, really, you know, the, the, one of the tagline questions from, from Gary that we got was, you know, how does this work out practically? What does it look like to be a slave of Jesus Christ. I think one of the first things we have to keep in mind is that statement we've said a couple of times is that to, to kind of destroy this idea in our minds that, that we have a say in this. Um, so, so for example, uh, with, with our children, we, our children are different ages right now. They're, they're older. And um, now we'll have conversations and we'll say, okay, hey, here's what we're thinking about doing right now for vacation. Let's talk about it. And we're inviting the kids into some decision conversations. You know, are you thinking mountains or beach? Okay, now if you think beach, are you thinking, do you want to go to a South Carolina beach or would you rather go to a North Carolina beach? So we, we give them some options in there. But there's, there's a difference with some decisions we make. So if we say, hey, we're doing this. Well, I want to, hey, no, this isn't open for discussion. We're doing this. This is what we're doing. We're going to, so we're going to spend our money on, on the mortgage, on groceries, 
on your education. Well, I'd rather spend that on a new PlayStation 5. Yeah, that's not even in the discussion of how we're getting, we're doing this, this, and this. That's kind of, I think sometimes we can adopt that second mindset when it comes to things of God, like God, the, the word, the Lord has said certain things. Well, I, you know, I think maybe this, maybe we can soften that a bit and we don't have that option. Um, so this comes up in a, in a couple different venues, a couple different ways, but I'm going to speak specifically for like our own lives. Okay. So God's word is clear with me on issues um, of, let's just use a faithfulness to my spouse. We've mentioned this in previous podcasts about qualifications of an elder. So I've got, I've got requirements. I've got commands to be faithful to my spouse. Okay. There's no room. There's no wiggle room there at all. There is no, well, as long as I don't commit adultery physically, I'm still faithful. Nope. I'm faithfulness. My spouse is physically, it's emotionally, it's, you know, it's all those things wrapped up that those are, that's, that's what I'm, I think what we're talking about here with the Lordship here, Christ has control over this issue. He's he, and giving him control means he has the commands to tell me how to live, whether I agree with them, whether they meet any cultural standards, whether I'm seen as a weirdo for it at all. This is what, this is what God's word has said. And I'm bound as a slave to Christ to as to the best of my ability, being a sinful human, to carry out those commands. You have hit on one of my pet peeves with uh, current Christianity, and and that pet peeve is we have way overcomplicated the Christian life. The Christian life basically boils down to do what God tells you in the Bible. I mean, I mean that that's pretty much it. And being a slave of Christ is precisely that, and you've given some examples of it. The way to be a slave of Christ is to live an obedient lifestyle. And if we do that, we don't have to worry about other things like what it means to be filled with the Spirit and, and all these things. The Bible is just filled with different metaphors, basically, for we have to do what God says to do. That basically summarizes the entire Christian life, and that's what it means to be a slave of Christ. Hmm. Now, could I throw in one other thing here? Absolutely. If I have your permission. And I know this wasn't part of Gary's question, but several years ago, I think it was about eight or nine years ago, a couple of books were published discussing this slave-servant issue, and it was argued that being a slave of Christ is equivalent to being saved. And, and I, I don't want to mention the couple of authors because I have great respect for them and I wouldn't want to, to taint what people think of them. But in my opinion, that, that is incorrect. Being a slave of Christ, that has to do with once we're justified, once we're declared righteous, now our relationship to God is one of being a slave to him. I don't become a slave as part of my salvation. So that became kind of a theological discussion. We've discussed in this podcast mostly the lexical issue with doulos, but there's also a theological implication there. Make sure to keep separate sanctification from justification. I would also issue that 
just word of suggestion. Yeah, I would hear the, you know, people have said the phrase, you know, and the term you're talking about is the, the Lordship salvation and, and things like right. that. I think I, I like to share it this way, and maybe, maybe I'm the kind of guy that just likes to bother people with words. I like to say, oh, no, I, I focus more on Lordship discipleship, that if I'm going to be a disciple of Christ, he has to, I have to submit to him as my Lord. Um, yeah. and, and there are some who say, well, isn't that the same as being saved? No, we're, there's conversion and there's discipleship or there's conversion, there's sanctification. Um, and I think there's the, the difference and I'm with you on that. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good, that's a good phrase. Lordship sanctification. Yeah. Really? That's what all the epistles are, are taken up with. Yeah. Telling but, Christians how to live. And, but there's there, the dangerous, I guess not the dangerous thing, but the confusing thing is, is that they're so intertwined when discussed in scripture that you, you see that a per, say for example, in scripture, we see a person who's converted will be sanctified. You know, they're, they're positionally sanctified. They will eventually be permanently sanctified, sanctified, but they are commanded to venture into this uh, where the Holy spirit takes God's word and progressively makes them more and more like Jesus. That's that those yes. are so intertwined, uh, not to say they're identical, but that they're intertwined. It's, you know, right. that's the concept. Um, so, this is the thing, and I've shared this before. I'm not sure if I've shared it here on the podcast, but growing up in a Christian school, growing up in a church, but not a Christian, I knew enough about Jesus, thanks to my Bible teachers, the, the chapels, the, the church, the Sunday school. I knew enough about Jesus that this is what he, this is what he requires. You know, you're going to follow me. You know, that, that's it. So I, but I knew enough to know that if I was going to do that, I was going to be a genuine, you know, Christian, just like the text says, like the, a biblical Christian, that was going to have to give up the things I was doing. And I enjoyed the things I was doing. Mm-hmm. My testimony was not one of these, I was miserable, and then Jesus fixed everything. I actually have the reverse. Um, I was pretty happy, and then Jesus ruined all that. And uh, I was miserable then. It was like, oh, man, I can't enjoy the things. I I tried to enjoy the things again, but it just wasn't the same. It was It's just he, he had to, through through sanctification, through submission to his lordship, he changed my taste buds. This is the very only other way I can say it, to where I don't have a taste for those things mm-hmm. anymore. Um, not that I don't have the temptation to, that don't get me wrong, there's no, no perfectionism here. It's just that the things that I would indulge in prior to salvation, caused, which caused me, which I had, which I enjoyed, they caused me. They don't cause they don't give me joy anymore. They they cause me grief. They cause me remorse. They cause me guilt and the need for repentance. And so, mm-hmm. um, I knew enough about Jesus to stay away from him, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but God, that's the only thing I can say. Yeah. And and His grace um, brought me to that understanding of that this that there is no other way. And um, and so I look at it now. It's like it, it was the Lordship sanctification. It was, all right, Lord, you're showing me something about my life here that needs to be changed. If you're, if I believe your word is what it is, I've got to, I've got to, by your help, by your spirit's help, I got to knock this out. And again, it's not pulling myself up by my own bootstrap. It's, it's submission to his will. It's all right, let's, let's, I need help here. I need to stop here. Do what, let's do whatever it takes. Do your surgery, Holy spirit and, and change. Um, so I, I, I see that because um, I've just seen it in my own life. I don't want to be a pragmatic person by any means, but I've seen that. That's how it worked in my life. Surrender to Christ's Lordship 
post conversion. Yeah. And that's really something we almost have to do on a daily basis. Right. A lot of times. Matter of fact, that's a prayer every morning. Um, yeah. I'm still in the bed and I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm whatever day this is going to be, it's going to be a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a day planned. Your, your word says you've carefully written out all of my days. So, mm-hmm. and, and this is the prayer. So Lord, whatever you let happen today, whatever you have in your sovereign will, help me to respond to it in a way where I'm more like Jesus when my head hits this pillow again than it is right now. And that's just every day constant. And I'd love to tell you there's, there are days that I nail it. There are more days. I don't, there are more days, 15 minutes after that prayer, I'm mad or upset and flying off the handle about something, but that's just every day submission surrender. Well, Devin, thanks for checking the question for us. That was a good one. Absolutely. Gary, thanks so much for sending that in. If you have a question for us that you'd like for us to answer, you know, even one about the Y2K, you know, so Dr. Hellinger can can go over those. I want to hear that sermon. Yeah. I know. So please send in your questions about Y2K. Um, You know, uh, send us an email, bibleguyspodcast at gmail.com. Send us an audio message via the Anchor app or even some of our social media. You can find us at bibleguyspod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And also, don't forget to subscribe, share us on your favorite podcast listening service.